turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. I really believe that the Lord is wanting us to pay attention to what he's doing in the city, to what he's doing in our families, to what he's doing in our church, and we need to seek him. We need to diligently pursue him. And because um, uh, I, I believe he, because he's doing something, we want to be part of it. We want to grab on to what he's doing. And so uh, I'm going to start a new series to, today called Conversations with God. Conversations with God, living in the Lord's Prayer. We're going to go through the Lord's Prayer and we're going to look at how Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And uh, prayer is something that if you've been a believer any amount of time, I mean, you kind of, we tend to understand the concept, but many people are hung up with how to pray. How does it work? What, what exactly am I supposed to do? Many people feel incredibly guilty over the lack of their prayer life. See, I want to I wanna knock that thing right in the face and get us out of the guilty legalistic thing, and I want us to embrace a relational, conversational model with God, because that is the secret to a great prayer life, all right? So, so if we look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, we're going to kind of repeat this or, or say this together. Uh, the, I'm going to use the NIV. I want you to say this with me. This is the Lord's Prayer, and we'll say it together starting in verse 9. It says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And that last little part there is maybe not in your particular version of the Bible. It was not in the earliest manuscripts. It showed up a little bit later. Um, but it, this, this prayer is so deep, it has so many layers to it, it has a, a really dynamic interaction with the Father for us. And I think we need to peel back the layers, look at, what, look at what's there, and that's what we're going to do over the next few weeks. But today I want to just talk to you about the simplicity of prayer, the simplicity of prayer. Some people are really challenged by prayer. You ever been in a prayer circle, right? <laughs> holding, you're holding hands. Holding hands with people, and then, you know, you pray, and then you squeeze the person's hand next to you, and that's their signal to pray. And that goes around the circle, and then, you know, it's going around the circle, the person comes to you, it's, it's coming, and the person right before you prays what you were going to pray. Oh, I hate when that happens. And so the, what, what, I do, what I do is they squeeze my hand, I just squeeze this guy's hand, and it goes around again. But there's something about uh, that, that sense of... Um, you know, you're trying to pray in front of people, and it makes you feel awkward. Some people go into the King James, King James language. Oh, great heavenly Father. That sounded like Darth Vader, didn't it? That was nice. <laughs> By thy great power and thine alone, thou dost know that we are thine. I mean, it's just like, what are you saying? I don't know what you're talking about. So it's not, it's not a, a, a King James English. Some, some people have trouble with... Um, the Father Gods, you know, you know he's Father God, we just pray that you would help us, Father God, and just be with us today, Father God, and uh, we want you to help us as we go. He knows. 
his name. <laughs> he knows you're talking to him. He knows that you know <laughs> that you know that he knows that you know who he is. There's something about prayer that's challenging for people. Sometimes we get alone by ourselves and we get in our prayer closet and we start praying and we pray for everything we can think of. <laughs> we start praying for missionaries that we heard of once and we keep going, pray for our nation and praying for everything. And we look at our watch and it's like 10 minutes have gone by. You know, it's like, what is this? How does this work? What are we doing here in prayer? And today I want to demystify prayer. I want to, I want to break it open and let you see its simplicity. I don't want us to have a disconnected view of prayer, like we're supposed to pray for something noble. I, I want us to have a conversation with God. I want to talk about how that works. Now, what kind of prayer does God respond to? What kind of prayers does God respond to? He responds to desperate prayers, you think? Desperate prayers. Lots of people pray desperate prayers. There's a play in football that has a prayer name. It's a, it's a prayer, right? And so it's the play. It's, it's the end of the game. The team has gone back and forth. You know, it's, the score is close, but one team's behind, and they're, they're lining up, and they, they get in the huddle, and they, they say, okay, we're going to call the play. Right? You go all the way down into the end zone, and the, and the quarterback's going to scramble around until he can get to where he can heave the football into the end zone and hope that they win the game. They call it a Hail Mary. It comes from a Catholic prayer, actually. It's the idea that they're throwing up a prayer. So no other prayer has, no other play has a prayer name. Why don't we name the kickoff after a prayer? First down play, it's a prayer. No, there isn't any. Why not? Because the rest of the game is up to us. The rest of the game is up to the team's plans and the way that they've designed it their own resources, but when you're up against the wall at the last second, our time and opportunity is gone. The only way to win is divine intervention. He doesn't have a prayer. I heard people say that. When all the other options are gone out of desperation, you decide to throw up a prayer. Mary is brought in for the last play because prayer is something we generally associate with desperation. Now, desperate people pray, it's true. We know of people, they pray without thinking about it. They pray even if they're not sure who they're praying to or if there's anyone out there that's listening to them. People in foxholes pray. People going through divorces pray. People who have kids that have run away pray. People who have gotten a bad report from the doctor's office, they pray. There's something about this desperate prayer. When we reach the limit of our own resources, we, we pray instinctively, it's almost automatic. Like a man lacking oxygen, just trying to gasp for breath, or a, a, a man falling down off a cliff and just grabbing anything he can, he can find. It's not bad to pray in a time of crisis, is it? No, it's actually, that's actually pretty good. 
think about it. It's one of God's most amazing attributes that he is humble enough to answer the prayer prayed in desperation after years of ignoring him. Think of that. Desperate prayers, in fact, have been the beginning of many people's spiritual lives. Crisis has hit them. Something has happened to their lives, and out of desperation, they cry out to God, and he answers them, and it begins a life with him. So there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself, but by themselves, desperate prayers are not sufficient to sustain spiritual life. Many of us fall into a pattern where the only times we pray are the times when we are prompted by a crisis or by pain. And we, de- we develop a pattern. We pray when it's bad. We kind of go on our own way when it's good. This pattern really points to what we believe about prayer. Points to what we really believe about prayer. In our most ordinary moments, we're not convinced that prayer really changes anything. So many people believe that their prayers won't change God's actions. So they say, what's the point of praying? As we look into the scripture now, I want you to get this, that prayer really does change things. One example is in Revelation. If you go all the way to the book of Revelation, chapter 8, verse 1. Go over there with me if you have your Bible. Revelation chapter 8, this is a picture of heaven, a picture of earth and heaven, in fact, and the prayers of the saints going up from earth to heaven and what the revelation to John looked like, what, it, what he saw. Chapter 8, verse 1 says, When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. A half an hour of silence. It's very interesting. The rest of the time, it's really loud and obnoxious. I mean, people are praying and crying out and singing and angels and all kinds of crazy stuff's happening. One half hour of silence. Notice what happens in that half hour of silence. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense together with the prayers of the saints went up before God from the angel's hand. And then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Think of it. Think of this passage. All of heaven silences, hearing the prayers of the saints. And as the prayers of the saints rise, this fire on the altar is grabbed up in the censer of an angel, and it is hurled down on the earth, and then something dramatic begins to happen. We don't usually think of prayer in these ways, do we? We wonder if God's hear us, but in this particular passage, we see heaven stopping to hear the prayers of the saints. And then the activity, the result, the direct result of the prayer, what happens on earth happens because people are praying. There's a guy named Walter Wink, and he says, history does not belong to the powerful, the wealthy, the rulers, the armies, the corporations, the global media empires. No, history belongs to the intercessors. 
Intercessors. You know what those are? That's, that's a word that means to stand in the gap. History belongs to those who believe and pray the future into being. That's a cool phrase, isn't it? History belongs to the people who believe and pray the future into being. There's something that we have to realize when Jesus taught his disciples in the Lord's Prayer to pray, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our prayers are part of that process. We're interacting with God's plan and his purpose in the earth, and prayer connects us to it. If you look at the rest of the New Testament, you see how important prayer is to the life of a believer, a person who follows Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 26, verse 41, look what it says. It says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. My little boys, Ethan and Owen, seven and five, they need to pray a lot more. <laughs> it's so funny because at that age, you can really see the wrestling of the flesh and the spirit. <laughs> you can watch it being played out in their little lives. Prayer is the thing that feeds our spirit, our spiritual life, and helps us to resist temptation. Acts 2.42 says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. This, this passage, Acts 2.42, is really one of the key passages that describes the early church, the first generation of believers and what they did. They spent time praying together. They were under great difficulty. I think this is the original recipe of the church, how the church came together. Prayer was part of that. Colossians 4.10 says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. The apostle Paul says it again in 1 Thessalonians in his letter to them in 5.16. He says, rejoice always. What? This is a crazy verse to me. Right? There's a lot of crazy verses in the Bible, but this is among the top five for me. Rejoice always and pray continually. How do you rejoice always? If you look at the context of the letter, you'll see, you'll understand that if you believe that God is in charge and you're engaged with him and he's working in you, you can have confidence that no matter what happens, you can rejoice in him. You pray continually, you give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It's God's will for you to pray continually, for you to understand how this works. Well, pray continually, man, I, I got a job. I got, I got stuff I got to do. I can't pray continually. Now, here's where I want us to spend a moment because prayer should be at the very center of our lives. There was a young man who joined a monastery several centuries ago, and he wanted to be a monk so badly, but he he couldn't, he couldn't be a full-fledged monk because he hadn't had the proper training. So he just joined the monastery and became kind of a, a lay monk, right? Just a, a person that w just had to do the work and could hang around. 
he became incredibly famous because he discovered something really amazing. He, he wrote a book called The Practice of the Presence of God. Actually, it wasn't a book. It was letters, and they were put together in a book later. He was writing letters to his friends, writing about what he had discovered, what God had spoken to him. I think it's so classic. Here's the monastery. All right, all the holy guys, they're out doing their thing. So the holy guys are out here and they're doing all their spiritual stuff and the cook is in the kitchen and it's the cook that gets the revelation. He said, prayer is an habitual, secret, and silent conversation with God. It's habitual, secret, silent conversation with God. It just goes on all the time. The author and theologian Dallas Willard, brilliant man, he said it this way. He said, prayer is talking to God about what we are doing together. Prayer is talking to God about what we're doing together, what he wants to do in us and what we want him to do in us. How he wants to use us, how we need to surrender to him. There's something in this dialogue, what we're doing together. I like this idea because it helps us understand what Jesus was saying in John 15 when he said that I want you to remain in me and for my words to remain in you. Then you can ask whatever you wish and it will be done. Something about including God in your life and in whatever's going on and him including you in whatever he's doing. Prayer is essentially talking to God, but it is also hearing from God. It is a conversation. It is interactive. It's not just begging and pleading. It's not just a list. There's something that goes on in a dialogue between us and him. And look at all the way back to the beginning. Let's look at a story there that illustrates this. Many times in the Bible, God's having a conversation with people. If you go back to Genesis chapter 18, all the way back to the front of the Bible, you look in that first book, Genesis 18, verse 22. It says, it's, it's describing Abraham, and this is the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he's, he's wrestling with God. He's asking God to save this city. God begins to respond to him. Now, that, now God has already decided to destroy the city. We pick up the story in verse 22. The men that God had sent to Abraham to tell him turned away and went towards Sodom. But Abraham remained standing before the Lord. And then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in this city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Wow, that's pretty aggressive, Abraham. I mean, he's really, he's really pushing the envelope here. And he says, God, if this cannot be the way it should happen, have mercy on this city. For the sake of 50 righteous people, you should have mercy on this city. He's really, he's really proclaiming it. The Lord responds in verse 26. The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. I love what happens now. Then Abraham spoke up again. 
now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city because of five more people? I'll find 45. If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him. What if 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. You can, you can hear Abraham. Okay, okay, 40. That's pretty good. Let's see. Could I, I find four? Uh, Lord, uh, just one more little thing. Um, I, I, I don't want to be too presumptuous here. Um, may the Lord not be angry, verse 30 says, but let me speak. What if, what if only 30 can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, now that I've been so bold to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? Finally, they settle on 10. <laughs> what I want you to see in the story is God's willingness to interact with Abraham in the destiny of a city. Could we pray and ask God to do something in Austin? Could we dialogue with God about what's possible? Could we dialogue about a revival? Could we ask him to do something beyond our own strength, our own ability? Could we ask and plead for his mercy to be poured out? We can and we should. There's a conversation here in it. We see this kind of conversation through the entire Bible. I think it's, we have to settle it. Something happens when we pray. It's not always exactly what we wanted to happen. Do you always get what you pray for? Hmm, that's very, that's a, what is that? <laughs> if I could just figure that out. <laughs> I've talked to people and they're praying for something. Sometimes it's very meaningful to them. It's such, a, it's such a difficult prayer to pray. We don't always get what we want and it, that in and of itself is a mystery. I don't know, I can't, I can't explain how all that works. I know it's something about the intersection of God invading the earth and us yielding to his will and other people's decisions and sin that's reigning in the earth right now, the intersection of all that creates all that. But what I want you to get is that prayer, no matter what you're asking for, changes something. Sometimes it's you that changes. It's important for us to understand that prayer is not a magic pixie dust that you sprinkle on your day. So you can, everything can be great. It's just awesome. I'm going to have a great day today because I prayed. That's not how it works. God is not some kind of cosmic butler who caters to our every whim. He's, we're, we're not just bossing him around to, hey, God, your word says this. So you got to do it. Come on, let's have it. Wow, that, that, I think that attitude is not humble. It is not honoring it misses the whole point of this relationship here. The infinite wisdom of God. Sometimes we can't grasp that. He is infinitely more than we can ask or even imagine, Ephesians 3.20 says. His ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts higher than our thoughts. In Isaiah, it's very difficult to understand that, to figure that out. 
But here's what I know. God doesn't want formulaic prayer. He doesn't want prayer out of ritual or religious piety. He wants a relationship, and that means conversation. Why? Why is this such a big deal? Why is prayer this, such a big deal for the believer? Well, here's what I believe. Here's what I think about prayer. Prayer takes us out of the realm of what we can do and into the realm of what God can do. That's the power of prayer. The power of prayer to take a grieving mother through the process. That's not in the, in the realm of power of a, of a mother who grieves over her child. It's, it's God's strength and courage and comfort that comes in the middle of prayer. It is something when we pray and we ask God to come and rescue us from a situation we can't figure out the way out. And suddenly, he gives us the solution. Not always the solution we would have chosen, and yet, have you ever heard anybody say, I wouldn't trade that experience for anything? Because I discovered who God was. I discovered who I am. So I want to give you, as we look at the next few weeks and we, and we begin to talk about prayer, I, I want to challenge you to do something different than you've done before in prayer. I want to challenge you to change your routine. You know, like uh, we're going to have this three weeks of prayer, 21 days of prayer, and we're going to open this up at 6 a.m. in the morning. I am not a morning person, I can just tell you that. That's a sacrifice for me. But I believe sometimes we have to do things we haven't been willing to do change the routine, change our perspective, press in and dig in in a new way to see God reveal himself to us. He's infinite, we're finite. We're discovering him in the dialogue, in the conversation. So here's a few helpful hints for conversations with God, all right? Just in your daily life, in your routine, here it is, all right? Ready? Set a time. Set a time to pray. Now, Ross, didn't you just say it's about a conversation that's all day long? Yeah, it's a relationship. There's no doubt about it. But what we need is to make sure we've prioritized him above everything else. Because appointments and the appointments you'll keep determine your priorities. Appointments you'll keep determine. That's what, that's what shows us what your priorities are. So there's something about setting a time. What, listen, when, when my wife and I uh, got married 20 years ago, we could just kind of hang out together. But then I started working, she started working. We loved each other. We had a relationship. But then life got really busy, and suddenly we're like, Whoa, we got to set a time. We got to have a date or something. That, that's kind of what I think it looks like. You have a relationship with God. The relationship transcends the time that you're going to meet with him, but the time you're going to meet with him is part of making the relationship mature. Does that make sense? So some people say, okay, set a time. What time should, of, the, of the day should it be? Well, it should be the morning. It's the best time of the day. That's when you give God your best. Listen, some of you are so mean and grumpy in the morning that even Jesus doesn't want to talk to you. <laughs> Marty. There's something about this, but, but, but there's, but so, so, it doesn't really matter. Set a time that you'll keep, all right? Look at Daniel. Daniel of Daniel in the lion's den. In, in chapter 6, verse 10, it describes what he'd been doing. There was a decree that had been declared that he could not pray 
to any god but the king. He said, now when Daniel learned that decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Notice the last phrase. In the face of the threat of being thrown in the lion's den, he held to his convictions and continued to bow his knee and pray to God three times every day. Sometimes praying five minutes throughout the day at different times is way better than a long, drawn-out prayer where you fall asleep. So here's the deal. If you're not used to setting a time to pray, here's what I want you to do. If you're not used to it, if your life kind of has gone on and you're trying to figure out how to really make your prayer life and conversation with God a priority, set a time and then keep it, but only for five minutes. Five minutes. You just pray for five minutes. You calm yourself. You pray You ask God to give you strength during the day. You focus your attention on him. You begin the conversation, and you don't go any longer than five minutes. And do that for a week, and then see what happens. What you're going to find is that's that's not long enough. But what I'm interested in is you setting a time and keeping it, not in how long you pray. As I was thinking earlier, as I was developing this message, think of God. He's outside of time, right? So, Five minutes to him is like 500 years. It doesn't matter. It's the same. Now, it's different to you because <laughs> you're not outside of time. So the more time you spend, the better it typically is for you. You get that? Okay, but God's not hung up on the time thing. Number two, find a place. You set a time, then you find a place. It can be really helpful to find a comfortable place where you can focus away from the TV, away from the radio, away from, I mean, your phone. I mean, for crying out loud, we are constantly tethered. Facebook and Twitter and all this stuff, it's right there on your phone. You've got to put it on silent or you've got to change it to the airline, what is that? Airline, airplane mode. Turn it off, disconnect and connect to your heavenly father. Find a place where you can do that. Some people talk about going to your closet. Jesus talked about going into your closet and praying. There's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes that's the only place you can go. Sometimes that's where I pray because I have seven people in my house. Closet or creation, doesn't really matter. Creation is so beautiful. I was just on the beach a couple weeks ago and we pulled up our beach chairs. We sat in the, kind of in the water as the waves kept coming up over and over again. I was just like, It was good for my soul. But it reminded me of how big God is. Mountains and oceans always give you a little perspective. Here's how Jesus did it, Mark 135. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus was always trying to find his solitary place. The crowds were f- surrounding him, trying to find him, and he, he would go away, and he, he knew he needed this relationship, this conversation with his father. So set a time, find a place, share your heart is number three. Share your heart. Why do I say this? Well, does your mind ever wander when you pray? It's a crazy thing, isn't it? It's like you start to pray and then you'll think of something and then you'll just, your mind will go way over here. Henry Nouwen, who's a brilliant author, he said this. He said, in prayer, our thoughts jump around in our minds like monkeys jumping around in a banana tree. 
It's like they're just, it's clattering around. Sometimes you got to take a deep breath. Clear your mind. But here's what I think. There is a, a sense at which we think we're supposed to pray for certain things. I mean, even the Lord's Prayer, it gives, it gives us this pattern. But if your heart is disconnected from those ideas, that's missing the point of prayer. So sometimes the best thing to do is your mind is clattering around. Something comes up in your mind and takes you away. Just pray about that thing. Whatever's going on in your mind, pray about that. Some person keeps coming, a situation keeps coming up in your mind, and you're like, I'm so frustrated with that person. I just want to pulverize him. I just, guess what? Uh, you might need to pray for God to give you the wisdom and strength to forgive that person. So your mind begins to go, and then you pull it back by praying about it. You pray about it, you yield that situation to the Lord, and you move on to your next thing. It's a willingness to share with God, now pay attention to me, it's a willingness to share with God the very most intimate details of your mind and your heart. You're not doing something for religious ritual. You're doing something that's sharing your life with God. That's the secret of prayer. You've got to share your heart. Look at what Philippians 4, 6 says. It says, do not be anxious about anything. Wow, really? But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which trans all understanding, transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Ah, here's what I love about this passage. What this passage says is, here's the secret to curing your anxiety. Curing your anxiety. I love what my grandma said. She's, she's like, um, don't tell me worrying never did anything. Every time I do, nothing happens. Here's the thing. Every situation, prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Your only role, your role in prayer is to present everything to God, to lay it down to him. His role is the next verse. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind. So share your heart, find a place, set a time, and then finally have a plan. Have a plan. I, I think it's helpful and healthy to have a plan of prayer. A lot of times I'll start with just my own life and experience, and I'll go to my family, then I'll go to my church, then I'll go to my city, then I'll go to the nation, nations of the world. It's like throwing a, a prayer pebble into your life, and you just go from the inside out. But here's what Jesus told his disciples when they asked him to pray, how to pray. Luke 11, 1 says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, and then he began to say the Lord's Prayer. He began to recite it for them. Now, if you think about that word say, it's probably not complete in its meaning. The King James Version probably gets it better from the original meaning, meaning which is, after this manner, pray ye, which means pray something like this. Pray like this. Jesus was giving a pattern of prayer. He wasn't saying, I want you to recite this over and over and over again. Every time you're in church, you say this. 
The Lord's Prayer was never, never just meant to be a recited prayer. It's a framework for us to live in. It's a framework for us to live in. And this is curious because the disciples would have understood, they would have known the prayers, the Jewish prayers that they were required to pray. They would have understood the prayers from the Torah. They would have memorized them. They would have engaged in prayer. But they saw something different when Jesus prayed. Jesus, Jesus prayed and they were like, whoa, that's something. I'm watching him pray. That's not how I pray. Something else is going on here. I gotta know what that is. They realized that their prayers were lifeless, ritualistic. They spotted Jesus' prayers and said, you've got to teach us how to pray. And then he began to teach them the framework. Now, this is the big point. I want you to end with this. Prayer is a learned behavior. People don't automatically know how to do it. Now, listen, God will respond to any kind of prayer. Help, help me, oh God. He'll respond to that. It's kind of like my kids, right? My kids, my little kids, they're like, Daddy, 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 Daddy. <laughs> if that's all the baby can say, the dad still responds, right? So sometimes our prayer life is really small and egocentric. We're just all, and all we can say, Daddy, Daddy, me, me, me. The father listens to that. But as you grow, as we mature, the dialogue begins to expand. You begin to talk about things. You begin to have a conversation. I'm, I'm noticing it with my older teenage boys. Is we're having a lot more conversation about their lives and about what's happening in them. And, and I'm, I'm soliciting it and I'm, I'm, I'm pulling it out of them. And I, I want them to open up to me. You know, when they're little, you can't get them to shut up. And then when they're older, you're like, come on, try to pry them open. It's kind of how it works with you and God. So I want to challenge you to pray five minutes a day this week. Set a time, find a place, share your heart, begin to develop a plan. In the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the plan that Jesus gave his disciples. We're going to live in it. We're going to think about it. We're going to evaluate how it works. And if you don't have a lifestyle of prayer, that's okay. You, you can develop it. You don't have to feel guilty. You don't have, oh, I don't know what to, I, don't, I haven't, my prayer life is dead, Pastor Ross. I don't know what to do. Listen, you don't have to go back and make up anything. You don't have to feel guilty. Listen, the enemy wants to accuse you and make you shamed and give you condemnation. That's not God speaking to you. What we want is for you just to start. Just open up your arms, open up your heart, lift up your eyes, bend your knee. Spend five minutes every day. Okay, close your eyes, bow your heads. I want you to listen to the voice of God's spirit and what he may be saying to you. And as you listen to that, I want you to respond to him. Maybe some of you are wrestling with wondering if, if you can do it. You, maybe you're wondering if God even likes you anymore. Or God is somehow mad at you. He's not. I can just tell you he's not. If you believe in Jesus, his wrath has been put aside. If you trust in Jesus and what he did, then you have a mediator, you have an advocate in Jesus and the Holy Spirit that he sent to live in you. I want you to respond to him. I want you to 
make the commitment to engage with him in a greater way. Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you're the one who's mad at God because he hasn't done what you wanted him to do. Somehow you, you've, you've prayed for something and somehow it hasn't come through and so you, you're angry at him. Can I just encourage you? you? You don't have to be concerned about your doubts. God is not threatened by them. God is not threatened by your frustration. What he wants is for you to talk to him about it. What he wants to do is talk to you about it. And so, Father, across this auditorium, we pray tonight. Would you teach us how to pray? Would you give us understanding of authority and understanding of this conversation? Give us a revelation of how to speak your language, how to hear your voice, how to dialogue with you, how to align ourselves with your purpose and your plan for our lives and our families and our city. Begin to teach us, Lord.